Welcome to another edition of the Dogger Pass Podcast. This is for UFC Vegas 66. This episode of the Dogger Pass Podcast and all episodes of the Dogger Pass Podcast are brought to you by Prize Picks. Use promo code DOP when making a new account to get a match up to $100 on your first deposit. Megan's on the sticks. Cody's on the line. Breaking down another card. Maybe at some point we'll talk about the, you know, Doug Crosby, the Sabatello decision and all that. But like... (laughs) We'll do that a little bit deeper down the line. We've got 14 fights to break down here, Cody. So, pitter-patter, let's get at her, as they say in, like, hockey dressing rooms around this great country of Canada. Or we got Sean Strickland taking on Jared Cannonier in the main event. Sean Strickland and Jared Cannonier. I mean, there's pr- it's pretty much straight pick them. I wrote it down at minus 110 on both sides. I feel like it's, this go- this fight goes off as a pick them. I actually took... Uh, Jared Cannonier plus 100 is one of the few remaining plus plus money wagers on the on the board right now. Um, it's kind of one of my mentality about it is that like Strickland, if this fight goes the full distance, he can pick him apart. He can land the jab. He'll be more active. We've seen him do a whole bunch of that. I'm throwing out the entire idea because people will probably say it that like, oh, Strickland could just go into this fight and, and wrestle. It's just like, no, no, he didn't do that against Pereira. He said that he didn't want to be a coward and do something like that against Pereira. So you have to throw out solid game planning with this guy moving forward, to be perfectly honest. I just think that like Strickland has to fight the perfect fight. Cannoneer could land an absolute bomb. Um, he has been getting outclassed on the feet by some of the division's absolute elite, but at 185, Cannoneer, we've talked about it for a long time. This guy's an absolute beast. Um, he's got five-round experience. He's got five-round cardio. I just think he he just lands the more damaging shots. So I, 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 I actually favored him in my own capping um, leading into this, so I took the plus 100 when I saw it. We'll see where it goes over the course of the week. Not going to be shocked if I lose this bet, but uh, it's the side in my humble opinion. What about you, buddy? Well, speaking of not going to be shocked if I lose this bet, yeah, I decided to go the other way and take Sean Strickland. I know what you're saying. He needs to fight 25 minutes with perfect game plan, but I think it's well within him to be able to do it. We've seen him go 15 minutes. We've seen him go later into fights. He does have this ability to just keep up high volume. And listen, the thing with the Alex Pereira situation is you've got Strickland, who's a good striker, maybe not an elite striker, versus an elite striker in Pereira. So he goes out there, he wants to make a point out of it, he wants to stay in his face, he wants to have a gentleman's agreement to slug it out, and he gets knocked out. Does he learn anything from that? Probably, in that if you're going to play this big volume game against these big power punchers, you need to start picking and choosing your spots. Now, Chris, the action man, Curtis, a good training partner of Sean Strickland, he uh, very much so in that. He's a volume guy. He always throws out tons of volume. And then this last past weekend against Joaquin Buckley, He's just getting styled on and then boom, crushes him. So talking to him, he makes a great point. He's like, why throw 100 when you can get the job done in 40? It's a situational matter, right? If you need to throw 100 plus significant strikes, you're going to keep going that volume. If you can be smart about it, be smart about it. When you're approaching Jared Cannonier, yeah, don't just spam lazy jabs. Just don't spam kicks up the middle. Maybe he's going to counter something. But I believe with Alex Pereira, it's always a matter of time. He's going to catch you eventually. You are playing with fire. When he fought Izzy that second time, caught him and knocked him out. For the record... In that second kickboxing match, Israel Adesanya is winning the fight. He just happens to get clipped. 
In the, the MMA fight between the two of them, Israel Adesanya is winning the fight. He just happens to get clipped. Pereira has that ability. Cannonier, meanwhile, he can't catch you. Don't get me wrong. This guy hits as good as any of them. But I don't see that ability quite as much as an Alex Pereira. You've seen Cannonier fight guys like Israel Adesanya get matador. You've seen him fight Robert Whitaker and, you know, get... Uh, Picked apart, picked apart from the outside. You've seen him get out-hustled in these situations. And I think with Sean Strickland, against a high volume to me is going to get the job done. So he does have a good chin. He does have good durability. He's just going to have to watch his minus P's and Q's, play it a little safer than he normally does, and get this thing going. Now, the one thing with Strickland, as much as he's a guy that could hit you 150 significant times, he's not exactly like the biggest power puncher. He doesn't really sit down on those strikes. It's more of a lot of touch and go, him talking shit to you, touch and go, touch and go. As a result, you see him go into later fight, uh, to later outs. You see the fans sometimes say, why didn't he do more? It's just his style. So to me, I'm picking Sean Strickland, but I don't necessarily think he's going to finish Jared Cannonier. He's not going to take him down and submit him. We've already ruled that one out. Does he knock him out? Cannonier has fought some of the best. So I'm going to say no. And if it's going to be a Strickland, Strickland by decision, which is extremely plausible, plus 200 on that, that's actually where I decided to go. That's fair enough. I'm not going to argue too much with it. But don't be surprised when your boy Sean is uh, convulsing on the canvas again. Um, if I was going to lose money on a guy, and you know, I'm glad it's Sean Strickland because if he was to be convulsing on the canvas, a part of you'd be like, eh, 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 serves him right. But in this instance, I'm backing him with my manne, so hopefully he doesn't get K to the FO'd. But if he did, you know, it's, it's, it's worse than betting on a guy you like and losing. If they were in a bar, Cody. Here, Megan, br- bring up the board. Straight pick them. You got Jared and Sean at your local drinking establishment. Where, who are you putting your money behind? <laughs> that's how I. Yeah, cap. that's yeah. how I cap this. That's 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 fair enough. And Have you seen these guys with their shirts off? Can... Like yeah. it's not even it's not <laughs> even a comparison. My God, he's got Sean. You have a better tan than Sean Strickland. Uh, <laughs> all right, I'll, I'll, I'll leave you I'll leave you with this and we totally move on but last week I thought I had a killer performance on the UFC card right the one spot that evaded me that I do feel bad about was the Bryce Mitchell versus Ilya Tapuria yeah, and right that. before they're about to go out they play the little pre-fight pack and my my wife's like who you got and I got Bryce Mitchell and she's astonished she's like oh you done screwed up <laughs> he looks so small he's got his glasses a little goatee Tapuri is a mean looking dude man he's so mean looking and uh I thought you know what maybe there's something to cap in a fight like that <laughs> who would you pick in a bar fight mm. yeah I mean, it wouldn't have worked out for you on the Patty Pimble versus Jared Gordon decision, but that's for another conversation. It should have, but who knows? All right, we got uh, Armin Sarukian taking on Demir Ismagulov, minus 185. Armin, plus 160 for Demir. Who you got here, buddy? Yeah, this one's strictly just chasing price on it, right? We know Armin Sarukian is a top talent. He's young. He's competitive. He went, you know, fought Islam Makachev in his debut. We all know that stuff about him, right? Very strong power wrestler, good grappler. I think he's really honing everything together. Striking seems to be making improvements as well. He does seem to lack some volume on the striking, right? You look at him in a lot of these fights where he'll get multiple takedowns, doesn't necessarily get the ground and pound, right? Some of the fights where he's standing up a little bit, good power in his hands, just, again, sometimes lacking some of that volume. And his last time out against Matus Gamrot, 
If it's a three-round fight, it's Sarukian all day long. He looks good early. He gets his wrestling er going early. But the longer the fight, uh, sorry, he gets his striking going early. The longer the fight takes place, Gamrot's able to grind on him, use his own takedowns. And to me, that was a big thing is that for Sarukian, he's an elite grappler. Yet, can he beat Makachev? Maybe not. Can he beat the other guys? Sure. Is an elite striker? No, but he's got that grappling and the striking's ever improving. To see him get taken down six times by Gamrot like that, and then furthermore, to see Gamrot struggle to take down, you know, the elite guys of the division, struggle to take down a Benil Dare, you struggle to take down, you know, um, your boy Kudelitz. It makes me wonder, Sarukian still is green, there's still elements to him, so I like him. I think he's got an extremely bright future. But in this spot, he's coming in as a near 2-1 to -one favorite over a guy in Demir Ishmagulov that, yeah, at times looks a little suspect, at times looks like you can pull one over from him. But for my money's worth, outside of his pure finishing ability, this guy's as well-rounded as anybody. He's got solid takedown defense, he's got solid striking, good enough numbers, very good durability on just a crazy long win streak um at plus 165 i feel like you can get worse underdogs so how i fight need this fight to take place ishmagulov stay to the outside use that long jab stick them move keep your hips going and hopefully stuff the takedowns if you can stuff the takedowns which i think he'll be able to do lead this to a striking battle i can see the first round being competitive but as he starts to get that jab going as he starts to get that accuracy going i just hope that he can stifle him a little bit keep him at bay and then squeeze one through. So I'm not going to lie, man. This is a 14-fight card. You do got about three even-money fights on it. But in terms of actual underdogs, not a whole lot of them jumping out at me. Ishmael Gulov at plus 165, one of the better ones that I did like. Yeah, I don't know if I've ever bet Ishmael Gulov. I understand a lot of the stuff that you're coming from there. Um, as an overall talent and, like, long-term, you know, ability... And like who I think can get into the top five and, and make some real noise over the next little bit. Like I've always thought that Zarukian had like all of the skills. So I don't know how to really approach this one from a betting perspective. I'm going to pick Zarukian. I think he will be able to uh, land some takedowns here. And he's super, super quick on the feet. He's just a very, very well-rounded fighter all the way around. I'm not... I mean, I was on Gamrot. Um against Sarukian, or at least I took it live um, at, like, a super, super wide number as Gamrot was, like, mixing in those takedowns later in the fight and stuff. Um, I don't know. It's just, like, Demir, any, even the wins that he has, is like the one against Guram was just, like, razor, razor close. Like, people, there are people out there who scored it for Guram, and I don't know. Every single time but he... Guram's a and if you're going... I, I understand your mentality is that, like... He's, this guy's always in close fights. I'm going to take the plus 160, but I don't know. Something's telling me that uh, that Armin is the side here and that he's going to make it look relatively easy here. You got to remember, the kid's well, he's born in 1996, super, super young still, um, really developing in front of our eyes. So I expect to see a, the best Armin, Saruki, Ar Armin Sarukian that we have seen to date. All right, we got uh, Amir Albazi taking on Alessandro Costa. Albazi, a minus 425 favorite. Costa can be had for plus 325. Costa coming in off of uh, Dana White's Contender Series. And Albazi was supposed to take on Brandon Royval on this very night. Um... I went and watched Costa's fight on the Contender Series, and I mean, the guy's built 
guy's super super jacked he's like five foot four and just like built like a fire hydrant super super strong i'm not entirely sure how good his grappling is um he didn't really show it all that much in the contender contender series fight striking was fine but like you know this is flyweight everybody at flyweight has pretty much all of the skills to a decent degree right if you're a 125 guy and you're like lacking certain skills it's like this is not the sport for you like everybody's pretty good at just about everything down here um Amir's been an absolute freight train just running dudes over taking them down choking them out do you have any inside information on like on Costa what his grappling's like is he gonna cause big problems for Albazi because if he could if he could extend it maybe he can make this fight a little bit interesting um like like Jalgas made it somewhat interesting in that matchup I mean I'm gonna pick Amir but like even with all the props and him by submission everything like that there's not really very much meat on the bone there so Albazi is the pick I just don't really know how to attack this fight what about you yeah, it's a tough spot because, like, does he is Albazi clear winner at four twenty five? Yeah, that's what's suggesting. Does he knock him out or does he submit him or does he does he lay one up for a decision? Yeah, that that those are all the question marks. And then in terms of, hey, let's just put him on the top of the ticket, which I'm definitely considering. Wise man once said, "Don't put heavyweights or flyweights at the top because you know, there's just a lot of risk in those divisions." Now, I'll admit he's supposed to take on you know a very solid, talented fighter in Brandon Royval. That fight's crazy. That fight, many things could take place. This is a short notice replacement, and at that, they take a guy. That want a split decision on the contender series that got outstruck on the contender series and who hasn't fought in six months and then he's jumping in to make his debut against this young lion who's three and zero in the division so it's just a tough tough spot for him and in terms of his grappling you can see stuff on the regional scene like it, it looks okay i'm gonna go ahead and say that oh here, here's here's my difficulty with it when you look at regional stuff especially from brazil a lot of these guys could be a bjj black belt they're getting submissions on the regional scene they might be fighting also bjj black belts but what's the level really at? Albazi, meanwhile, Albazi's got legitimate jiu-jitsu. To that tune, in his UFC debut, he fights Malcolm Gordon. Malcolm Gordon is a Brazilian jiu-jitsu black belt. Albazi clips him, drops him, puts him down, snags up a beautiful triangle choke, and subs him with a triangle, which is a feather-in-the-cap move to uh, hit him with early in the first round like that. So I thought his grappling looked quite good in that fight. His last fight against Figgy Jr., it's funny calling him Figgy Jr. just because he looks so much older and shorter than Davidson. But all the same, Davidson Figueroa's brother is a BJJ black belt. And all the same, you see El Bazi just cut right through him, takes his back, locks in the rear naked choke. His striking looks good. He's very agile. He himself is very young, getting better. Wrestling looks pretty solid. You go back to the Zalgazuma Gulov fight, two nice takedowns there, a little bit of ground control, outstruck him. All good stuff, man. And Zalgas is like that gatekeeper of the division, right? How many guys beat him clean? Albazi at least beat him clean. It wasn't controversial. He won the rounds, right? It was a good test for him, but Zalgas is a good test for everybody. So I think Albazi's grappling, even if Costa was a black belt, even if Costa had good jiu-jitsu, I feel like Albazi just not on another level, but well within himself. And then in terms of the striking, yeah, you got to deal with this, these power strikes. You got to make sure you don't get clipped. You can't get too cute, but... His durability looks pretty solid. His volume looks pretty solid. Decent technical boxing. Good volume in the pocket. So I just feel like Albazi outworks him. He outworks him to my tune, takes him down and strangles him out. That's how I would say it goes down. However, I'm not super confident in betting a prop on this because, yeah, it could be a decision. I suppose Costa could be a lot stronger than I give him credit for. If you look at him, he looks like he's a pretty strong physical guy. But this is a tough debut to make on short notice. So I'm not going to go with the underdog here. I'm definitely going to support Albazi. And, of course, I'll be playing him higher up this week. Yeah, if you're taking the, the the shot on the props there, 
just take the like inside the distance is like minus 120-ish. Oh, that's actually only at one book. Maybe I should get on that. Because, um, yeah, it's like minus 160 in other places. Well, I may have just made a bet, Cody. Um, there you go. <laughs> I'll inside show, the well, I was going to say like try to do inside the distance because like him by submission is like plus 110. And it's your classic Pollyanna Vienna situation where mm. I learned it's just like there's not much of a difference between the submission prop and the inside the distance prop. Don't get greedy because all of a sudden Pollyanna Vienna lands a quick one, too. And uh, and your girl. I don't know if you ever did the shoey for that. Not that I'm calling you out on it, but uh, I'm not sure you did the shoey for that one. Mm. People are saying on this card, on this card, people are saying well, I'll. I'll Oh, well, we got a holiday episode next week, right? We so do. If, if that's the case, I don't remember. If that's the case, guaranteed Shuey on next week's holiday episode. But you can pick any car fight on the card that we disagree with. Okay. And I'll take the other side automatic, and it's a double or nothing Shuey bet. So either we're both doing a Shuey or I'm doing a double Shuey on next week's holiday episode. I like that. I'm, I'm a gambling man. I'll take you up on that action. Um, if Hopefully, we find something along the way. I'm going to have to force it. At your that, call? At that, value, your at that value. At that value, I'm going to have to force one here. All right. We got Julian Arosa taking on Alex Bruce Leroy Caceres. Minus 165 for Juicy J. Uh, Bruce, Bruce Leroy can be had for plus 140. What's your take here, bud? I could do you guys a favor and I'll bet Juicy J and you guys bet against him and he'll get steamrolled. But if I do take Juicy J, then he's going to show up or not show up and just uh, pull a stunt because, man, this guy is other. He's either mid-range, gatekeeper type fighter, chinny, weak cardio, no punching power, or the times I bet against him. He looks good, dude. He's got it all. He's got all the intangibles. Like, let's say he can take a punch. His volume is very, very good. Stays to the outside, stays to the inside. If he wants to come forward and press you and be the aggressor, he actually does it quite well. If he wants to back up and use this poor man's dominant cruise, like swinging hooks from the outside, he does quite well. He'll punch, he'll kick, he throws with either side. He moves, so much movement. If he's the one coming forward, you got to do a lot of backpedaling. If you're the one coming forward, you still got to chase him around. Like he's super flat, like a fleet footed, very quick out there, right? In terms of his volume, it doesn't necessarily have the biggest one hit or quitter power, but keeps just racking it up. He stings opponents left, right, and center. His wrestling, pretty solid. His grappling, very solid. The submission went over Charles Jourdain, you know, take him into deep waters. His last time against Akeem Dewadu, it's a picture-perfect performance. He beats him everywhere. Beats him standing. Beats him on the ground. Beats him in the cardio department. Breaks him. Um Un insane and then literally one fight before that it's a tooth and nail fight to the death with steven peterson mm. so like where's the rhyme or reason paul it doesn't make sense he's either he's either got it like he's a top 10 guy or uh you know ugh, i don't really know what's coming out of julian rosa so it's super hard to get a bid on this guy but being that he's coming off the good performance i gotta go with that man he looks so complete against hakeem and it's not just like it's one good fight like he finally all put together it's like there's moments in all of his fights of some of some brilliance, you know, some some excellent work, some high quality stuff. It's just can he tie it together for a full 15 minutes and stay focused? And that is, I think, what you saw a lot more in the Hakeem Dwadu fight. And this is no disrespect to Bruce Leroy, but he, to me, very much is that solid gatekeeper that I don't see really getting beyond gatekeeper status. If you are legit and you're going to go on and have a bright future in the UFC, you beat Bruce Leroy. If you are not it, if you're going to fan out and be released from the division 
you know, in quick order, you lose to Bruce Leroy. And those are just the facts, man. He's got some decent wins. But again, I don't want to waste too much of your time. But <clears throat> these are his UFC wins. Cole Escovito, cut. Demacio Page, cut. Manitubu Tuzaka, cut. I butchered his name, sorry. Roland DeLorme from Manitoba, cut. Sergio Pettis, not his fault, but no longer with the promotion. Masu Fulham, cut. Cole Miller, cut. Roland D, cut. Martin Bravo, cut. Steven Peterson, clinging on to a job. Chase Hooper, I think he's cut. He should be cut. Hooper shouldn't be in the UFC. Austin Springer, cut. Kevin Kroon, cut. Does bare knuckle boxing now. Sung Woo Choi, I think he's clinging on for a job, but he's probably on the road to getting cut for the record. So it's possible to say that not one single one of his UFC wins. I'm sorry, Sergio, like that one aged quite well because of the Bellator title. Uh, they're not super relevant. Like he beats guys are just not all that good. And so let's focus in on the last two because he has so many fights. You can't waste your time talking about all of them. But the last two, the Sung Woo Choi fight. Choi works him in the first round. He stays at the outside. He uses that, that Korean Muay Thai, teeth kick up the middle, long left hand, right? I thought he was doing very good work in that first round. Second round, Bruce Leroy creates a little scramble, takes his back, chokes him out. Damn, got caught. But it's not as if he dominated that fight. And then in his last time out against Sodi Kusif, I thought he looked way better. But he did stand in front of him and just allow Sodi Kusif to get off first, right? To to get the combinations going, to, to outwork him, to essentially lead the dance. And so my issue in this Arosa fight is, Bruce Leroy's got excellent grappling, but it's Rosa, so I don't think he's going to take him down. I don't think he's going to submit him. If he's forced to stand, he'll have moments. He'll land that jab. He'll keep it competitive. I just think Arosa's going to cleanly outwork him, right, with the with the overall work rate, with the ability to come forward with a little bit of bigger size, I think, in there, which is what you're going to see. So uh, I got to go with Juicy J, and I'm going to, again, take Juicy J by decision because Bruce Leroy got a hell of a chin, if anything else. So durable enough to make it to the 15-minute mark. So I think Arosa wins. Arosa wins by decision. I'm with you. I'm don't, not really going to add on too, too much. I will say that on prize picks there, what was it, 65.5 significant strikes for Juicy J. This guy throws a lot of volume. The biggest thing why I'm picking Arosa with you on this is that my biggest concern with Arosa and pretty much all of the matchups that he gets into is like, is the opponent he's facing got like crazy power? Um, I don't really trust his chin all that much. And Bruce Leroy isn't exactly a one-hitter-quitter kind of guy. So we're going to ride the the Juicy J train here. But uh, prize picks, um, that significant strikes prop for uh, Rosa seems like something worth snagging. 65.5, it's just like if you go through Rosa's recent fights here, 92 versus Dewadu, 155 versus Steve Peterson, uh, 103 against Charles Jourdain. When he got knocked out against Sungwoo Choi, well, he only got 10. It's just like you're basically if this fight goes to decision, which I kind of expect this fight to happen. Well, what I expect to happen in this fight, he's gonna clear. Even though like Caceres does slow down the pace a little bit, he fights at range. He doesn't make it easy to get hit. He doesn't make himself an easy target. I think Arosa clears that number pretty easily um, if this fight goes a full 15. So I will be adding Arosa significant strikes more than 65.5 on prize picks. Again, promo code DOP to get a match up to $100 on your first deposit. All right, moving on. We've got Drew Dober taking on Bobby Green. Dober, a minus 150 favorite. Green can be had for plus 130. Are we going to bet? I kind of want to bet Bobby Green, Cody. And then I'm, uh, and then what's going to end up happening is he's going to outland Drew Dober. He's going to eat, like, he's going to eat shots and, like, you know, he'll, like, two to one 
uh, on significant strikes, land on your Dober. Dober won't really react because he's got, you know, look at the size of the guy's freaking chin. The board's up right now. Like, he's just got, the guy's got a freaking fire hydrant uh, strapped to his freaking, you know, it, 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 it's absurd, the, the shape of this guy's melon. Um, we have seen him actually, you know, against uh, McKenney, he was rocked a little bit. I'm not worried about the Bobby Green knocking him out, really. Um, he's capable, but, you know, he's not exactly a murderous power puncher. The real key is that, like, Bobby Green has insane durability himself. Um, I, I think he ends up winning the volume, and then it comes down to, like, when this goes to a scorecard, you know, the stats will tell you Bobby Green won this fight. You may Your eyes may tell you that Bobby Green won this fight, but, like, the bigger shots get landed by Dober. But, you know, the, the thing about it is, like, if, if these lines were flipped, if Dober was plus 130, Bobby Green was minus 150, I wouldn't be touching with the 10-foot ball. The only reason I'm considering it is that if Bobby Green shows up, I think he is a cleaner, more dynamic boxer um, at the very least. Not a kickboxer. Um, Dober obviously has, you know, the pedigree of American kickboxing. But I think Bobby Green is a much slicker, cleaner boxer um, when he's on... He can put up, you know, 150 significant strikes on anybody. And I struggled to see Dober keeping up with that pace. Um, on top of that, maybe Bobby Green's probably a better grappler, but it's like, good luck. I'm not counting on this guy to secure any takedowns, to go for any takedowns, to even think about grappling in the slightest. I have to be prepared, if I can put my money behind him, that he's going to have a 15-minute striking affair and win on volume. Um, I don't know if it's actually going to get my money, but that'll be my pick is Bobby Green um, for the purposes of this show. What's your take here, bud? Well, it might not get your money, but it might get your shoey bet honors because I will go the other way on this one. I'm going to go with Drew Dober. Oh, um, again, I think you nailed it with close competitive fight because it's a Bobby Green fight, man. It's going to be close. He's going to be landing. The judges are going to be deciding, oh, I don't really know who to swing it to. And the key is every time that Bobby Green lands a shot, Drew Dober's big old coconut melon of his is going to take the shots. But every time Drew Dober lands a shot, Bobby Green's going to basically tell everybody in the arena that Drew Dober landed a shot because he's just going to shake his head, Paul. He's going to do that head shake. He's going to be head shaking all night long. And I think that's going to be the key difference in the judges' eyes. Uh, Dober mixes in the light kicks well as well. I think uh, Bobby Green's very flat-footed. He's got a traditional boxing style. In fact, he's the only guy in MMA that rocks a Philly, uh, Philly shell defense, right? Similar to a Floyd Mayweather, similar to a Pernell Whitaker. And he almost his hands low, and it's all about the swivel, right? He loves to swivel. He That's why he's very evasive and defensively sound. But for clean wrestlers like the Islam Akachas of the world, he's dead meat because he's flat-footed. And I want to believe, this is what I'm trying to convince myself of, is uh, two good kickboxers. They should have a good solid advantage of them as well. You got to pound that leg, pound that leg. And what Bobby does excellent is Bobby stays in the pocket, stays aggressive, and everything you land, he's shaking his head. Nothing seems to phase him. Most of the guys that he fights, he's willing to get hit because it just does not phase him. Now, I'm not saying that Drew Dober's any bigger of a power puncher than a Raphael Fazeev because Fazeev failed to get Bobby Green's respect. I almost feel like Drew Dober's not the kind of guy you just recklessly walk forward on and try to touch up all night with jabs from the outside if you want to play volume against strict power dober sits down on his punches man he's got a tremendous amount of power he is durable training out of colorado he's got the altitude he's got ability to go 15 minutes and i really think that the leg kicks are going to slow down bobby he'll hack down on the leg move side to side hopefully evade the jab land something in return and then that's what i think is going to sway the judges so close fight 
decision fight, maybe even a split decision. But I think Drew Dober is going to get his hand raised. So I will play Dober and then to sweeten the action a little bit because minus 150, just not good enough for me. Um, I, I would chase it by decision. Bobby Green's been knocked out by what? Dustin Poirier. So could happen. Of course it could happen, but like not super likely. Dober hits like an absolute hammer enough to sway the judges, but I don't think enough to knock out Bobby Green clean. You will not be getting a shoey bet from me on this one. I'll tell you that <laughs> much. I'm not putting a, that deal you handed to me on the shoulders of Bobby Green. Just not going <laughs> to do it. I can't. I can't. You gave me a good opportunity, and I'm not going to. There's got to be another spot that I feel better about. Like, I would be so tilted if the fight plays out kind of the exact way that most Bobby Green fights outside of, the you know, Islam just took him down and absolutely just mauled him. But... If like most like most Bobby Green fights, he wins on volume. You know the stats, bros. At the end of the fight or on Twitter after he gets robbed, and they're like, "Oh, look at look at how many look how many more significant strikes he landed." It's just like, yes, what always happens. But he tells, yeah, the real thing is that he tells the judges every single time he gets eat eaten clean or eats a clean shot, he goes, "Nah, nah, nah, that didn't hurt." Like waves his finger. It's just like, bro, you're telling them like they. <laughs> Have you seen Adelaide Bird? Like, her glasses on stuff. It's like, she can't see what's going on in that cage. You can see with her scorecards half of the time. She's like, don't shake your head. Don't acknowledge that you got hit whatsoever because she has no idea what's going on. Um, with plenty of judges, that's that's the that's the name of the game these days. Maybe we have to investigate them, too, now that uh, Kraus is, uh, you know, feeling the heat. There could be more to it. But, uh, yeah, we'll, we'll talk about that a little bit later down. Jim Donahue. <laughs> yeah. We'll talk about that a little bit later on the show. I, I feel like we can't really avoid it. Um, Mikhail Oleksiejshuk takes on Cody Brundage. Minus 270 for Mikhail. 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 Mikey O. Um, and Brundage can be had for plus 230. Um, great. You know. Uh, 100 like we kind of always said when Mikey O was fighting at 205 he's just he had a lot of talent he had a lot of ability he was just incredibly undersized at 205 pounds um moving down to middleweight obviously you know he took on the ghost of the ghost of the ghost of Sam Alvey but man did he put the hurt on him and did he put the hurt on to him quick um and frankly, like, we hadn't, you know, Sam Alvey's thing has always been that, like, his chin had more or less held up in a lot of matchups. Eh, he'd been knocked out a few times down the stretch there. Man, what a bad... It's crazy how long that guy was able to keep his job. It was a pretty it was easy matchup. It was a pretty easy matchup. Um, I don't think I've ever put money on, on Brundage uh, against Dalka. Boy, oh boy, he was almost dead in the water right out of the gate there. And then somehow pulls that off. Even Gore was having a little bit of success, like very, very early, obviously. And then he lands a nuke on him and finishes him. I don't know. I've just not. Uh, that, that Maximov fight, I mean, not, not that that's really stylistically, you know, helpful whatsoever against Mikey O, but kind of telling that like Maximov is very very limited was only able to do one thing and uh Brundage wasn't able to stop is, is Brundage going to be able to spam takedowns here hold Mikey O down and, and cover this price tag that is the real question I see people talking about how Cody is like a great wrestler but really all I have 
on paper that I that I can really confirm is that Maximov fight where I wasn't all that impressed by his grappling ability. So Mikey O, Mikey O knockout. Is that how this one shakes out? What do you think? Yeah, I'm going to agree. Like this one seems a little bit trappy because when you look at it on tape, that's what it looks like. It looks like Brunridge sometimes gets off to a bit of a slow start and he's there to eat damage. Not necessarily the most durable guy, whereas Mikey O is just dynamic. Um, The thing is at 205 pounds, as you mentioned, undersized. And here's what I can't quite figure out. Is his poor cardio because he has poor cardio or is it because he's fighting such big guys? Because if he could sustain the pace that he has for the first three, four minutes of the fight, this guy uh, definitely has got somewhat championship caliber potential. If you remember his fight with Alvin St. Pru, he 10 eights Alvin St. Pru in the first round. It's an absolute savage beating. And then he comes out for the second and he's just a shell of himself. So St. Pru, a big 205er, currently fights in the UFC, has a heavyweight, and once challenged John Jones for the UFC title, he's no slouch or walkover opponent. I think you see that he could have been a top 205er, but being undersized and having the cardio kind of let him down. So now at 185, when you saw him on the scales for Sam Alvey, damn, dude, this is where he should have been already. And he's young, and clearly he knows he has bad cardio, so goddamn, if the weight cut down causes him to be stricter with his diet, causes him to be more serious, causes him to, you know, draw everything in, and he can go 10, maybe 15 minutes, I think that he could be a problem. If he's who he used to be, which is three, maybe five minutes of pure savage, just savagery in the cage, uh, it still might be enough to get the job done. Because I think, again, Brunridge is there to get hit. You mentioned the fight with uh, Luchambula. He's getting absolutely smashed pillar to post. Could, the fight could get stopped. It's very close to getting stopped. And then he ends up grabbing a beautiful guillotine choke to uh, save his life. And his next fight with Trejan Gore, he looked actually, I thought, a lot better. Very patient, allowed Gore to come to him and then knocked him out with a shot. But maybe a tad bit too patient uh, against uh, Prince Mikal. He comes at you. He comes, sorry, he's Lord Mikal. I always call him Prince Mikal for something. Lord Mikal, he comes at you. And I don't know that Brunders is going to stand up to him. I think the best way of attacking this one is probably hitting under two and a half. Probably even hit the under one and a half. It seems like Mikey O's either going to put him away or in turn die trying, get taken down, maybe get snagged up with some type of submission. So under two and a half looks good. Fight doesn't go the distance. That looks pretty good. If you were greedy, the under one and a half per se. But uh, I'm going to go with the the Michael Alexa Chuck um, inside the distance, more specifically by knockout. I think he gets the job done. I think 85 is the division that he should have been for a long time. And I think that uh, Brunridge is the perfect opponent to do that. Yeah, he can wrestle, but he's not elite. Yeah, he can grind. He's not elite. Yeah, he can strike a little bit, has a little bit of power. But I think that you're going to see a guy that's fought some top 10 guys in his career and actually done quite well for themselves versus a guy in Cody Brunridge who's still kind of at that contender series level, fighting contender series veterans, fighting guys that are washing out of the UFC. The Dolce fight again, almost loses this one. And Dolce's on a four-fight losing streak, likely getting cut from the promotion. So one guy's operating at a low level at 185 pounds. The other guy's fought in some of the best guys in the world at 205 pounds. And is still younger and is still more talented. I just got to hope the cardio's in line, Paul. If it is, we're going to be good. But uh, if it's not, we could have some problems. And the under one and a half would be good. So that's that's kind of where I'm thinking of this one. All right. Moving on down, we've got Cheyenne Velismas taking on Co- um Corey McKenna, minus 200, Velismas, plus 170 for your girl, Corey McKenna. Is she going to stick to wrestling, Cody? Because I'm not going to lie, Pat Mayo special. 
It seems like a dogger pass spot here. Is Corey going to stick to a wrestling game plan? Because that has been like the most frustrating thing, um, you know, backing her in, in some of these recent fights is like, which fight am I thinking of in particular here? Montserrat Ruiz. Oh, you're thinking, yeah, yeah. No, you're thinking of the Lise Reed fight where she could have beaten Elise Reed yes. on her worst day had she wrestled, man. Damn. Yeah. And she, I that guess one was against- Danny Castillo's fault. Yeah. Uh, and Vlismus, I mean, she's got a little bit of pop in her hands, but yeah, I mean, I, I, I like plus two seventy took Montserrat Canejo, also known as Montserrat Ruiz, in that spot, and yeah, four takedowns, literally the exact same take. It was just like a headlock, head and arm throw, and then she would hold that position. It's just like it was, it was right there. It was right for the taking. Nobody's really tested that grappling since, and minus 200 is, you know, 66% win probability. So it feels dogger pass to me. I'm going to pick Corey McKenna. Hopefully she sticks to wrestling. Like, she's got a 58-inch reach, man, T-Rex arms. It's like, we are not winning this fight at range. you got to get this fight to the mat early and often. Do not play this fight like you did against Elise Reed, and I think she can come away with like a, a grappling-based decision or maybe even a submission. I'm not entirely sure how good Velismus's, you know ground game is when they get down there, but the, the fight's got to get to the mat. But uh, Corey McKenna, for me, what about you? Yeah, I got to go the other way. I got to go with uh, Cheyenne Vlismus. Um, again, I think that she's very talented. When she came to the UFC, I thought she was talented. At the time, she was Cheyenne Buys. She was uh, married to JP Buys, South African wrestling standout, whose MMA career hasn't really all been that good, but solid wrestling in that she was known as good wrestling, very athletic fighter with good volume. So the fight with Monstro Ruiz, bro, you tried to warn me about it. You really did. And uh, Monstro Ruiz got the job done. But people only see the three rounds in the octagon. If you remember after that fight, Cheyenne Vlismas told her, I'll follow you home, bitch. So who knows how the, the, the rematch went later on that night in some parking lot somewhere. I think she's game. I think she got caught in a bad spot. She was on the record saying, well, I know this is her move, but not going to work on me. And then it worked on her quite effectively. But she had a lot of fight in that about she had a lot of fight in her she just didn't really get to show it so her last two the glory to paulo fight i thought she looked pretty good um you know getting a first round ko minute six seconds into the round what can you really take away from it but she looked comfortable she went through divorce she said that she had some some personal issues but to see her come out and have a nice clean performance like that over someone who's not a walk walkover per se um that's good man talks about the mental space and then her last one against mallory martin mallory martin can wrestle so steve lizma's Go out there, be physical, bully her around. 134 significant strikes landed. Um, good cardio, solid, composed. I, I feel like Vlismas is going to move into some type of, not necessarily title contention, but she will move up the ranks. And I think she's in for some good fights. She's full-time out of Las Vegas. She's got a lot of stuff going her way. Uh, I feel like... Um, I feel like she's one of those fighters that could have a breakout year maybe in 2023. It's just she has that one fight with Ruiz. It's allowing people to keep going back to it and saying, oh, she's limited. She's not that good. She's almost like a dark horse of the division, I think, going forward. With Corey McKenna, as you said, yeah, no, honestly, I don't think she's really all that bad. Like, what I see from her is works at this level. Dark horse of volume. Yeah, but dark horse of the division implies that you think she's going to win a title. Well, then I definitely use the saying wrong, but I'm saying dark horse in the terms of remember when Angela Hill was on the ultimate fighter, she was one and up and she was the dark horse of the tournament, not thinking she's going to win. Yeah. She's a 16 seed, right? So it's like, she's got the ability to maybe Brandon Moreno was the 16 seed. Are they going to win the whole show? No, 
But are they going to go out there and do a lot better than 16 seed would imply? Absolutely, I think so. Flismas, meanwhile, she lost to Ruiz. Ruiz is having no success in the division. She's coming off a win over Mallory Martin. Mallory Martin is no longer in the UFC. So she's operating at a low level. But I think this is a young fighter that was very much confidence-based, had personal life issues, had some setbacks. And I think she's going to grow from that and get better. I like what she brings to the table in terms of volume. And I'm not saying she's a Caitlin Chukagi. I'm not saying she's a Mino Fioro. She doesn't fight like them whatsoever. But girls that can routinely land over 100 significant strikes are going to outwork their opponents 9 out of 10 times. They're going to have success. I think she could start replicating that. Corey McKenna, meanwhile, I like grapplers. Of course, who doesn't like grapplers? So Corey McKenna, when she grapples, seems okay. But another one of these fighters, you know, born in 1999, she's very young. And so the UFC would have to develop her properly and bring her along. She moves over to Team Alpha Male. She was training with Sarah McMahon. She comes out for a fight versus Elise Three. That's essentially a Taekwondo black belt versus a good solid wrestler who trains at a wrestling gym with wrestling coaches. And they gave, they sold her up the river, man. They just told her you're winning this fight, which she was not. They told her, don't shoot the takedowns. You're winning these striking exchanges. Mm -hmm. The third round, she got the fight to the ground, but it was too little too late. They sold her up the river. It was bad advice. Now she comes back from that fight against Miranda Granger. And what do you know? She uses her wrestling and makes it look easy and gets the win. But Miranda Granger, not on the same level of a Cheyenne Vlismas. And if you get the takedown early, that's great. Are you going to keep going takedown for 15 full minutes? If you do get the takedown, are you easily going to hold her down? I think Vlismas is stronger. I think Vlismas' wrestling is pretty solid. Takedown defense, not terrible. If you want to hit her with a head and arm throw, okay, I get it. It worked a few times, but Montserrat Ruiz, that's her move, bro. That's her one move. It's what she lands on people. It is what it is. I'm not going to take too much into consideration. I don't think that's going to exactly be the move that's going to defeat her this time. I just feel like her ability to stay up on the feet more often than not and then use the volume, use the striking. McKenna versus Elise Reed, she was lost. She was there was no plan B, Paul. She just she just waited forward and allowed herself to get punched two, three times clean in the face. Reed was landing clean. Those shots were one at a time, one and done shots, not much combination punching, but they were landing clean. And McKenna was cool with just eating a shot in the face and stalking around the cage. So she's young. She'll learn. She'll get better. And maybe at some point she's twice the fighter Cheyenne Vlismas is. I just don't think she is right now. So I gotta go Vlismas. And again. Sound like a broken record, but Blizzard's uh, by decision. I, I don't see her winning this fight inside the distance. All right. Fair enough. Let's move on. We got Matt, uh, Matt, uh, sorry, Jake Matthews taking on Matt. I don't know where my brain went there for a second. Uh, Jake Matthews taking on Matthew Semmelsberger. Jake Matthews is a minus 260 favorite. Semmelsberger can be half a plus 220. This line is super, super wide, and it's because Jake Matthews came out and probably had the best performance that we've seen from him probably ever. Like, he uh, ever, he was looking very, very light on his feet against Andre Fialio. He did get dropped at the end of round one. I think people definitely forget that. Um, like, he ate a big shot, went went down. That would be my only concern here, especially with, like, laying the... You know, the minus 260, you're parlaying him up, getting so super excited about that, is that, you know, the, Jake hasn't always had the best, uh, the best chin. But I think there's a big path to, path to wrestling here, which is like something that we had seen. He didn't show whatsoever against Fialu. He just decided to show out on the feet. But that's what Jake did in a lot of his fights earlier on in his career. And, you know, you go to Semmelsberger versus A.J. Fletcher. 
And Fletcher was able, at least early in that fight, to land takedowns and, and get in there. That was a fight that we were at odds about. Um, I think Jake is really actually coming into his own. I hate the price. Not because I don't think it's... I think it's about right. So it's like I, it, there doesn't really seem to be too much meat on the bone at minus 260. I think Jake is a very, very deserving favorite. Um, has all the skills to win this fight. Uh, the safest path to victory for him is probably to sec to secure some takedowns, um, use that grappling. Um, but I still think he could actually win this fight at range as well. He just, you know, make it a lot harder on himself and probably not cover the minus 260 while also putting himself at risk of getting knocked out by Semi the Jedi. But uh, yeah, Jake Matthews is the pick for me. Not sure if I'm going to be betting it because I think the bookies got this line right to be perfectly honest what about you i think you got this right well also i mean you pretty much used all my points i think uh, jake matthews could win this fight with his stand-up game he's got he's pretty fast his father was a kickboxing stand-up he is a grappler he grew up grappling when he fought in the ufc everything was grappling 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 but you could see a conceded effort in his last number of fights to use the kickboxing and i'll be damned man he's starting to really land he's starting to sit down in those shots he hadn't had no knockout wins in the ufc he was either a guy that was going to grind you down decision you or maybe snatch up a submission but in that last fight with Andre Fiala you saw that he's got some good power he's no longer a big lightweight or small welterweight he's becoming a big welterweight I mean again young we've really seen this guy grow and develop in front of our eyes Paul the difference is he could have left Australia and gone to American top team and tried this five years ago instead he decided I'm going to stay with my dad home and take the slow route and the slow approach has got him still being relevant in 2023, not fanning out with so, so many other, you know, good prospects that we've seen come and go. So to Jake Matthews' credit, I do think that he's rounding out his game and becoming a good, solid fighter. Like you mentioned, drop by Andre Fialo, but Fialo, if nothing else, <clears throat> is a solid power puncher. And Matthews recovers, comes back from that one. Uh, what was that greasy one once upon a time? He got booted in the face. We all had so much money Oh, Akbar uh, Areola. <laughs> yeah, right, right, right. Oh, buddy, so that, he's that, one, that one scared favorite. me for years, and that's it almost <laughs> still scares me to this day. Because, yeah, he was a 10-to-1 favorite and then, like, almost got, I think it was, like, round two, eight, eight a head kick to the dome and, like, butts were puckered, I'll tell you that much. But that's the key, dude. That was the night that Akbar Areola almost caught Captain Jack Sparrow because he was so goddamn close. But he dropped him onto his ass. And then you saw Jake Matthews as a young kid who now has to face adversity, gets floored, gets back up, works his way back into the fight, and ends up winning against Akbar Areola. So even as a young kid, you saw he had that fighter mentality. And now older, more developed, full of tattoos now. Um, not No longer that kid on the Ultimate Fighter. He was 19 when he was on... Team Australia versus Team Canada, the ultimate fighter. So, again, someone that I think we've seen in front of our eyes develop through experience and octagon time and fighting good opponents and losing, fighting bad opponents and learning, fighting everything in, in between. He's really rounding out his game. So when you mentioned that he could win stand-up, he could win on the ground, I completely agree. I think that he is kind of getting to that level. With Matthew Semmelsberger, he's big. He's a big boy for the division, six foot one, 75-inch reach, uh, definitely a thick kind of guy. But again, when you look at the level that he's operating at, you know, he beats up Martin Sano. You know, he gets a quick knockout over him. He's He's got a couple, you know, the, the quick win over Jason Witt. He's, he's fought some... Some some guys like uh like Carlton and you know Carlton Minus and just like lower level guys that may not be holding down a job at the promotion anymore. I think he's tough. I think he's a big body, but he's very much herky jerky. Now you had AJ uh, Dobson 
I, I didn't necessarily agree with it because uh, the kid's so young, right? Sorry, AJ Fletcher. You had AJ Fletcher. Fletcher's just so young. He's green. Summelsberg is a big body, and he's going to touch this kid up. And he's going to make him work. Man, that was a close fight. That was a very close fight. Could have gone either way. I thought Semmelsberger did the more work rate, especially as Fletcher started to tire. But it showed a vulnerability in his grappling for sure. Here's a guy that's been doing MMA for like a handful of years, comes from a football background, and he's just bulldozing you to the ground and getting significant amounts of top control. Even in the third round, it's an AJ Fletcher takedown. Semmelsberger just happens to reverse and get up on top. Mm -hmm. Well, he's lucky that he had an inexperienced green opponent who's been training in MMA for a handful of years out of a smaller gym in Louisiana. Because if it was Jake Matthews, he would have been in a world of shit. Better right. wrestler, actual BJJ black belt, actual UFC experience, bigger body, way more comfortable. He would have been screwed. And so then his very next performance is against Alex Morono. Morono doesn't wrestle. He's actually got a black belt, shockingly. But uh, Morono doesn't shoot takedowns on anybody, so... He, he opted to just stand up and beat up Summersberger, out volume him, right? So when you say Matthews could do that, I think he can. But I think Matthews could just go back the takedown route, bro. It's there for you. So I think he gets it. I really want to try a Matthews inside the distance. I feel like he's got so many decisions on his record. He's known as a decision guy, but he might be starting to turn the corner. But as I say that, like Summersberger's tough, like dollar, dollar store beef jerky. And uh, Matthews does have a reputation for holding on a little bit. So uh, even though I want to believe he's changed, I'm not entirely sold that he's changed. So could be a decision, I suppose, as well. The main thing is money line is not great, but I don't know a great prop to attack with at this point. So I'll just play the straight up Jake Matthews. Yeah, the Matthews inside the distance prop, they opened it up pretty wide. And it seems like, you know, early money, sharp money, I would imagine, um, is moving it. Like it opened at like two plus two eighty five. It's down to plus one sixty five at one place. Yeah. Another place it opened at a plus one or plus two ten, and it's already down to plus one eighty eight. And that's the best number on the market right now. So early action is coming in on Jake, who yeah, frankly looked the best we've ever seen from him. He's still super young and coming into his own. This seems like a very winnable fight. So the minus two sixty could be a little bit jarring, but. If he is what we saw against Fialo, uh, it probably, yeah, it makes sense. Um, moving on down, we got Julian Marquez taking on Duran Wynn. Minus 175 Marquez, plus 150 for Duran Wynn. Who do you like here, bud? Okay, so when you talk about trap lines, this could be it. Because I almost feel like just dropping the hammer against Duran win and, and, and here's the scary part that makes me say oof I don't know it's not even that it's Julian Marquez it's that I think after seeing Duran wins last fight I might be I might drop the hammer on anybody that man was fighting inside the octagon Paul he does not belong I'm sorry I know that sounds bad he's a career-long athlete he's Daniel Cormier's buddy he trains at American Kickbox Academy one of the best gyms going he's got MMA fights he's got over 10 MMA fights under his belt he's been fighting most of his career in the UFC which which is a very tough task for anybody, but Duran Wynn does not do it for me. Uh, he's got he's got nothing going for him in terms of his size within the division. No size within the division. He's five foot six with a seventy inch reach at one hundred eighty five pounds. It's astonishingly small. He's the only guy five foot six in middleweight history. He's the only guy with a seventy inch reach in like middleweight history. He's extremely undersized. He has the frame of a welterweight. He's the frame of a lightweight. But he barely even cuts weight to 85, man. They need the towel for the guy. He's always having bad weight cuts. He actually fought at 195 catch weights and 205 pounds once upon a time. He's just like so stocky and dense. And it's like, well, what 
can he do? It's like, can he strike a little? Absolutely not. He may have the worst striking in division history. Nah, that's a lie because the sport goes back to 1993 where nobody could strike. But but Deron Wynn, because of the 70-inch reach, is that he comes up short on pretty much everything. Like, if he's going to go jab for jab, you're going to punch him square in the face. He's going to come up short at air. So everything's got to be clubbing hooks over the top to set up the takedowns. He, he wings his punches. He's got very little power. He doesn't get his opponent's respect. He doesn't fight good inside close quarters. He just definitely doesn't fight good at range. So it's like, well, what can he do? It's like this some bitch can wrestle. I'll mm-hmm. tell you that. DC's buddy, built like DC, they bring in plane full of Russians time after time into the gym, Khabib's boys, and they go through Duran win. It's like, yeah, this guy can wrestle. He's a legit good wrestler. And then you see him in the octagon. He either A, is not shooting, or B, beautiful takedown, and then the guy just quite literally stands right back up. Like his, his top control time is non-existent. Beautiful takedowns. Multiple takedowns. He could hit five, six, seven on you, and they'll just stand right back up. And when you stand right back up, his explosive moves, uh, the fact that he's just carrying around so much excess weight, like his cardio is not good. I don't know what to tell you. His last fight with Phil Hawes was the first time that it honestly looked like someone to just throw the towel in from like the two minute mark onwards. Mm-hmm. And I had the fight to uh, I had the fight to start round three. So I'm screaming at the TV like, "Come on, Duran, come on!" It felt like I was screaming for days, ball. Ball, it went on forever. It was just a clean beating, a savage beating, the entirety of that fight. He shot, he didn't even shoot really. He'd like think about shooting and then eat a shot and then back away. He walked head into elbows time and time again, face busted up, turns away, heart of a champion. I give him that, dude. Most guys would have been like, no moss, no moss. He did try to fight on to the best of his abilities. He was just so largely outgunned. Now, Phil Haas is a physical specimen, but and a um, former wrestler to, to just and a former wrestler, former junior college national champion. For what it's worth, it's like, yeah, yeah, tough matchup maybe, but to get beat up that bad by him, I I don't know, I don't know. Now, Julian Marquez, he, he had like this massive um like neck. Nah, it wasn't a neck surgery. Kraus guys, like so like, cuff. did he leave Kraus? Like, what's what's going on with that? Was he was training with Kraus for years? Did he? leave very recently Krause, yeah yeah i i don't know well i don't know but tj brown from last week's card was with james Kroos, and then I, I guess he had left and to be honest tj brown looked pretty good um i'm kind of expecting the same thing out of marquez the hit and miss thing with him is that one time he looked like he'd be pretty good you want to talk about phil hawes here's a guy that folded phil hawes with a first round head kick on the contender series it looked like he had a bright future but uh i, th- I want to say it's a rotator cuff issue he like tore his rotator cuff they say it's Something that is mostly seen in like high level um, MLB pitchers just to like sh- shred it off the bone. He had like a couple major reconstructive surgeries to try to get him back. And the guy that's come back to the octagon, not quite the same guy that left the octagon, uh, that brute ability to just come forward with stand damage and give it back, not quite there anymore. He does seem a lot slower. His grappling has improved a lot, but his cardio is not quite there to back it up. His last fight with Gregory Rodriguez. Rodriguez looked like Picasso in there. He could not do anything wrong. He absolutely killed him. But again, he's another one of these high-level guys. How does Marquez do with a guy like Duran Wynn? If he can keep the fight standing, he'll just back him up, batter him up. To me, what's going to happen in this fight is Wynn's going to get early takedowns. Marquez is going to stifle him with good BJJ. Marquez will work back up to his feet, slug him with some big shots. Wynn will take them. The second round, they're both sucking wind. And even though Wynn's got the heart of a champion, when that becomes a sloppy fight and those takedowns aren't available for him, he just won't win the fight. He's just not going to beat Marquez in a fight where you throw one, I throw one, because he just doesn't have that striking to fall back on. And for the cardio, if his cardio is in check, he could be a problem maybe. 
Um, it's just not. You see it time and time again. Wrestling is not a fight. You know, the emotions that go into a fight, they're getting kicked in the head. They're getting kneed in the head. Oh, great. I got a takedown. And now this guy's slamming me with six elbows in the head. Like, it's not a wrestling match. Win is not a fighter. He's a wrestler. He's the wrestler with the heart of gold. Don't get me wrong. Guy's got a heart of a fighter. Just hasn't really been able to transition it. So even at Bellator, he'd be one of those guys in Bellator that would come in as a minus 1600 favorite against some dude from, you know, the Midwest regional scene and then get folded by an uppercut in the first round, Pat Downey style. That's that's how I see Deron Wynn going. Great wrestler, not transitioning over to the world of MMA. I'm going to play devil's advocate, Cody. Here are the wrestling luminaries that were successful in wrestling against Julian Marquez. Mackie Patolo took him down five times. <laughs> Alessio Di Chirico, probably the greatest Italian wrestler in UFC history. Uh, four takedowns. Uh, and Darren Stewart, who, like, if you flip it, it was six to one in takedowns, win versus Stewart, four nothing for Darren Stewart. Now, he won two of those. Because he was able to get uh, a choke. So he had a guillotine choke against Darren Stewart. He had an anaconda choke against Mackie Patolo. Uh, bring up the board there. Ooh, he's got no neck. We, he got no neck. <laughs> oh, no. Deron oh, win. No. Deron win by decision. Plus 375. <laughs> Added it to the card. I think he's, I mean, don't, yeah, it was very, very ugly. It was a very, very ugly loss. He showed that he had a lot of durability at the very least um, against Phil Haas. But, like, yeah, yeah, it was a really, really bad matchup. He's taking on a guy who can stall every single little bit of the wrestling and uh, has way better striking, is way bigger, way longer. Um, If Wynn is able to get takedowns and secure top control, I'm not convinced that uh, that Marquez is going to be able to get back up, uh, consistently at least. Uh, so, yeah, I took the shot on Duran win. Win by decision, plus 375. I just think that's... I mean, this guy can't really... Outside of the regional scene where he had some, like... He was fighting, like, taxi cab drivers and stuff like that, and he's got some finishes. Like, he's not finishing anybody at the UFC level. Um, doesn't really have much of a grappling game. It's like, if he's going to win, it's going to be by decision. Get me off of that plus 150. Get me on to him by decision, plus 375. Um but yeah, no, we're not making that the shoey bet either. Uh, I'm not too confident. There's a couple spots coming up where we may actually, though. We got Saeed. I'll give you one in this next fight right here, I bet you. Well, I, I'm I'm more interested in the fight after that. Um, okay. It, but we'll see where we'll, we'll see where you land on that. Uh, we got Saeed Nurmagomedov taking on Saeed Yokub. Kakramanov, straight pick him, homie, who you got? Uh, yeah, yeah, straight pick him, man. This is a great fight, dude. This is really good matchmaking. The UFC throws a Magomedov versus a Kakramanov, and it is on. Uh, with Saeed Nurmagomedov, yeah, again, not directly related to the man, the myth, the legend himself. And to me, that's the problem, dude. When you think of Nurmagomedov, you think of wrestling. That's what you're thinking of. You're thinking of the ability to go out there, withstand whatever needs to be to get this fight to the ground. And when the fight gets to the ground, there is a mauling about to happen. These guys wrestling bears in the mountains of Dagestan. They are battle-tested and ready to go. Saeed Nurmagomedov rocks a cool-sounding last name. 
But he's a striker. I mean, he, he's very dynamic. He likes to throw a lot of spinning attacks. Uh, very, you know, very quick footed, good footwork. Uh, sets up a lot of these 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 wild, weird angle shots. But but lands lands extremely effectively. The thing is, is that when guys shoot takedowns on him, that's generally where they're getting the most success. He only has a seventy percent takedown defense ratio in the UFC. His last fight against Douglas D'Andrade gives up one takedown to him. Screw that. None of that matters. Go back to the Rowdy Barcelos fight. That's the real deal here. Because in the third round, this thing's 1-1 going into the third. It's close. It's competitive. Saeed's having his opportunity standing. It's in the third. He needs to keep his fight standing. Rowdy just gets him with an easy money takedown. And once he does take him down, he's able to have a lot of good, solid control on him. When I look at Kakramanov, here's a guy that, again, I mean, Kakramanov goes way back he wrestled i don't know exactly i couldn't quite find like the level that he had wrestled at it seemed like it was like us you know the cadet level like fila cadet level almost mm-hmm. but all the same i mean he has solid wrestling background with the name kakramanov you know his family probably comes from a wrestling heritage and then he lands in uh, pfl 2018 against umar Nurmagomedov. that's when i became now, umar, aware of him and Umar's Umar. the real deal, right? You of want to course. talk about guys that have last name Nurmagomedov. He's actually a real Nurmagomedov. He's mm-hmm. undefeated. He's the Bellator champion. He's the real deal, right? That fight, I think he was expected to walk right through Kakramanov. And what you saw is... No, no, no. You're, you're, thinking of, you're thinking of Usman Nurmagomedov. This is Cousin Umar. Sorry, my bad. He took on cousin, cousin Umar, which is how yeah, I became yeah, your boy. familiar with Kakramanov is, is that fight. And he, he, yeah, did, my he bad. did well. Yeah, Usman undefeated in Bellator, Umar undefeated in the UFC, Khabib yep. undefeated in the UFC. It's like, it, that's the highest level. And I remember watching the Kakramano fight, betting on Umar Nurmagomedov, and just, it was a sweat the whole time. In the third round, I thought Umar, you know, breaks him through and then kind of breaks on through to the other side, and Kakramano kind of fell behind. But for the first two rounds, this kid's big and strong. He's got a big old back on him. I mean, he, he leans on you solid, good striking, doesn't throw a ton of volume. He seems like more one of these guys that's using the striking to set up these clinch exchanges. But once he gets to these clinch exchanges, he's thriving in them. So, it was my bad that I didn't go with him in his UFC debut. I, I liked him from that PFL fight. He had lost a fight by Flying Knee to Pipe Vargas, I think, in between. So it kind of reeled me off of him when he made that debut against, you know, I guess a solid enough guy in Trevin Jones, who's kind of known as an upset specialist. But short notice, leans on him the whole time, but a solid performance. And not solid enough for me to pick him against my boy Ronnie Lawrence. And then, holy shit, Paul, yeah, he just ragdolled him like a sack of potatoes. Ten takedowns. Whenever he wanted them, they were there. That was and Ron was a guy me. that was taking guys down ten times. Or like that was his game. And he just absolutely mauled him. So so honestly, when I think about this fight with Said Nirmagomedov, Said's got the striking advantage. He's got the volume. If this fight is a striking battle, he's gonna win. He'll win from the outside, he'll win from the inside, no problem. If Kakramanov can get takedowns, and I think there's a high likelihood he's gonna get takedowns. He's way bigger, he's way stronger, and I think he's going to have a lot of control time with those takedowns en route to a, a victory, a decision victory, sadly enough, another decision. But, um, yeah, no, I, I got to say Kakramanov, uh, Kakramanov by decision. That's what I'm going to go with. Yeah, I'm with you on there. Um, on prize picks, they got the they got it set at 1475, but I, I don't mind the, uh, the over there. I think this fight does go to decision. And I think it's really going to come down to Kakramanov yeah, I was kind of shell-shocked, kind of surprised when he just absolutely ragdolled uh, Ronnie Lawrence, who is a very good wrestler in his own right, and just took him down at will. That was like, okay, 
I mean, I was impressed by him when he took on um, uh, Umar when he was – they were both so young at the time. It was back in 2018, and they're both young prospects even still um, in this division. And I was just like, okay, this guy could be something. And then he showed up on the scene and, you know, great, great performance against Trevin Jones. And then, yeah, that Ronnie Lawrence was a real eye-opener. It's just like, okay, this guy's going to be around for a long time. I'm with you. I got Kakramanov. I got Kakramanov. By decision, but you know we're living in the world where you know Doug Crosby could uh, could be in attendance. So if Kakramanov gets takedowns, but the bigger, more damaging strikes are landed by Saeed before he lands those takedowns, who knows who gets the decision when it goes to act- when the uh, when the judges actually turn in their cards? Um, I think it's relatively decently lined fight for this very reason um but yeah I'll, I'll side with you i'm gonna i'm gonna take kakramanov in this pick of in this pick em fight but uh i don't know if i'm gonna really build up to colin it's probably more of a fight that if i see something live if kakramanov is committed to those takedowns early that i'll jump on something live we got rafa garcia taking on the legend of mahashat uh, minus 135 for Rafa Garcia. Mahashate can be had for plus 115. What are your thoughts here, buddy? Yeah, I think I'm going to go with Rafa Garcia, another fighter that I think that uh, originally, you know, a write-off of sorts, and then just slowly got – guy's a hard worker, man. He's training at an elite level out of Las Vegas, making improvements, getting good t- time in, and I think you see his work come to good use. He makes his debut relatively short notice against Nazareth Hackcross as a big underdog. And, yeah, he loses the fight, but – he actually gave a good showing, you know, for a guy that wasn't expected to do much. He he showed some levels. His fight with Chris Grootsmacher, he's now a big favorite. And uh, first round, five takedowns, looked great in the first round, then gassed out. So, yeah, at this point, he's a bit of a write-off. But the the, the fight with Natan Levy, seven takedowns. I mean, he's, he's like a dog on a bone. That's what I like about him, right? If he gets the takedown, you pop back up, he's back on you. He needs his cardio in check. If he shows up with Grootsmacher cardio, his style does not work. If he shows up with a full tank of gas... That style is extremely effective, and that's being that grind. So against Natan Levy, Levy tried his best to fight back and do what he could to stay in the upright position, but Rafa Garcia broke him down. Now it's fight with Jesse Ronson. Ronson, much better striker. Rafa Garcia, probably going to get touched up. Not quite the case. Again, dog-in-the-bone mentality. He breaks through the pocket, gets a hold of him, pins him up against the cage, gets working on him for takedowns. Gets the takedowns. Once he's on top, he's breaking Jesse Ronson's spirit. You see Ronson minute by minute. It's just like it, it, he's his soul's evaporating in there. And then uh, it's an illegal knee. You know, Rafa Garcia zaps him with an illegal knee. Ronson's got the uh, heart of a champion. You know, big old cojones on him. He tells the ref, sure, I'm good to go. Probably wasn't good to go, but says he's good to go and then gets snagged up in a choke. So it's an unfortunate ending. Like it's not, you know, your clean cut win. But again, I think you're seeing him make those improvements and, um, and it's more of a grinding style. He wants multiple takedowns. He had seven against Natan Levy, five against Chris Kruzmonker, three in that fight with Jesse Ronson and didn't even make it out of the second round. And then his last fight against Drakkar Close, again, Close is kind of everybody's darling, right? He, he's competing at a high level. He had come back from his neck, or his neck issues uh, from the Jeremy Stevens shove, had a big clean win in the UFC, comes into this fight as a big favorite. I'd back Drakkar Close on my top ticket. And it's, again, Drakkar Close wins, but it's another case of every time outside of the Grootsmonger fight that I see Rafa. Bro, he goes for it. He makes these fights close. He's making those improvements. I thought he had a decent showing against Drakkar close. He landed three takedowns. He probably outgrappled them in spots. Unfortunately, 
didn't quite land as many strikes as he needed to and lost a close decision. But uh, decent stuff out of him. Again, still young, still making improvements, getting good, hard experience in the UFC. And then that's going to be beneficiary to him. <clears throat> Mahashat. Uh, come on, dude. The guy's got a legendary name. It's like Mahashate. Mahashat in your apple pie last time out. Is what, machete, is machete, what machete. Dude, he totally Mahashated in my apple pie big time. If you look at his contender series spot against Achilles, Achilles dummies him in the first round. Like it's a beating in the first round. And then Achilles completely gasses out and and, and Mahashat works his way back into it rounds two and three and wins the fight. Not super pretty, but he didn't win the fight. And then the fight with Steve Garcia, unbelievable. Steve Garcia, hands down, charges, charges face first into a shot uh, that just sits him, gets right back up and then decides, YOLO, I'm just going to, charge right back in Marcin Prachnio, Sam Alvey style, like just reckless abandon. And then has to pay for it, unfortunately. So I'm sure Mahashat, you know, he does have a good counter right hand. He's got a lot of experience. One of these Chinese regional scene guys that at least got to rack up some experience, low level fights, but lots of them. I'm sure he's seen a few different situations in his time. To me though, he's a bit of a slow starter. I don't exactly know what his grappling's like. Achilles Astromandura never tried to get him to the ground. Steve Garcia ran face first into two big shots all within the first, like, 90 seconds of the fight. So what's his grappling like? What's his cardio? Uh, his cardio is okay, because, again, you saw him on the Contender Series. When it mattered, he had the better cardio, but he relied on Achilles tiring out. What I'm saying is Rafa comes in good shape. Last fight of the year, last UFC of the year, last chance to get paid right before Christmas. He shows up in shape, motivated, ready to go, and has a gas tank. He wins this fight. He backs him up. He lays, lays, him, into the or lays him into the cage, grinds him, pulls him to the ground, gets him top time. If Mahashat gets back up, Pull him right back down. And if Mahashat lands that big shot, which is entirely capable of doing, Rafa Garcia got a hell of a chin on him, bro. He can take a punch. I'm not worried about that. So that counter shot is not going to fold him the same way it did Garcia, but allow him to hopefully get hit and then just come right through it, complete the takedown, and grind him. That would be the way to win it. So Rafa Garcia, again, I'm leaning towards another decision on this one. I think Mahashat's you know, durable enough to lie on his back for 15 minutes and get grinded on. Rafa, meanwhile, more more can, more um. He's thinking more about getting the takedown than what's he going to do with the takedown once he gets it there. So probably more of a decision fight, but got to go with Rafa Garcia. All right, this is this is the shoey bet right here. You know I'm going to back my guy, Mahashat. The market is working its way away from me at this point, but uh, he's only 23 years old. I see a lot of skill, a lot of talent in a lot of his striking techniques, what he's able to do. I am a little bit concerned that he's going to get taken down and, and held down. There's really not that much tape on him. That's what kind of ha that's why he was such a crazy. I think it had more to do with the fact that like he was such a crazy underdog on contender series when he came in because like the books literally didn't have access to like any of his previous fights. There was like no information on this guy. <laughs> the th the kid is enormous. He's six feet tall um, in this division. Just like a very very big lightweight. I expect to see more improvements. I know that uh, Rafa Garcia has never been knocked out. But uh, Mahashat may be the guy to do it. Uh, I'm going to wait for this. It seems like, you know, money has been coming in on Garcia for a little bit here. I'm going to wait until about weigh-ins because I feel like there will be some buyback when they see, you know, five foot seven Rafa Garcia standing next to six feet tall. Uh, Mahashat, I think there will be some buyback. But maybe I can get like a plus 125 or so on Mahashat. But... I'll take your two to one on this uh, this whole shoey operation. Uh, I'll take my shot. You get Rafa Garcia. Deal. Deal. 
Boom. There we go. Locked and loaded. All right, we got Renat Fakratinov taking on Brian Battle. Fakratinov is a minus 145 favorite. Brian Battle can be had for plus 125. This was like relatively closer to a pick em. <clears throat> Action's been coming in on Fakratinov. The general consensus, I suppose, is that Fakratinov is going to land takedowns, land takedowns at will. Um, what do you think about that? Uh, and are you picking Fakratinov? Yeah, well, I think initially I was like, yeah, Fakratinov. If it ends in a no V, it's for me. You know the old saying, Paul. Mm-hmm. Uh, takedown artist, five takedowns in his last time against Achilles. Achilles actually kind of a big body for the division, if anything. Um, and yeah, it just once he takes you down, he controls you. So I could see him doing exactly that. He probably will do exactly that. He probably will win the fight. However, yeah, I think I, I think I overextended myself on an underdog play here. I need a couple underdogs. I felt like Brian Battle was one of the guys with plus money next to his name that had a shot at winning. Why? I'll tell you why. Um, damage over control. You're seeing this all the time, okay? One guy can't get the takedowns, but doesn't do anything with it. What I saw from Fakradinov in his fight with Mikolitis is the same thing I saw him on the regional scene. He gets takedowns, and he does a whole lot of laying on top, right? Mm-hmm. Um, Brian Battle, Brian Battle's been... Yeah, he's certainly making as many improvements as he can. He's been working, but he's been working on his takedown defense. He's a pretty decently good size guy, good shape, and he's got good volume. Excellent kicks from the outside, feeling himself, starting to really develop and come into his own. I feel like he's got a bright future, not someone that's going to challenge for a title, but someone that's going to factor in the division for years to come. The main thing here is how many of those takedowns can he stuff? And beyond that, for me personally, can I land some shots, land the better shots in between the engagements of getting taken down and persuade the judges. Because again, this is in Las Vegas. You just saw how bad Las Vegas judging can be. And what was bad about it? Well, it seems like they're going for control time. No, sorry, they're going for damage over control time. Everyone can say, I thought Ankle Live won, don't get me wrong. But uh, those first two rounds, like, well, like Jan landed the shots, right? The Patty Pimlet fight with Jared Gordon. Yeah, bullshit. I get it. I get it. But it's like, well, Patty was landing the shots, right? Well, not the first round. I don't know. That was a weird fight altogether, bro. Let's let's be honest. Mm-hmm. What I'm saying is that you're seeing a lot of these instances where there may be one guy getting the takedowns. He might be spending time on top. He might be pressing you into the cage. It's those short little shots in between that they seem to be factoring in. And uh, this could be another instance of that. Brian Battle has good volume. He think he's got a good solid ability to fight 15 minutes. He's a durable enough guy. He's got good cardio. And I think he's he's tricky. He's got some okay jiu-jitsu. He's got some okay takedown defense. Fakratino, I'm a better wrestler. Fakratino probably does take him down, but I don't think that's enough to just foregone conclusion he's going to win. Just because he's on top doesn't mean he wins. Should, should, but how often are we seeing doesn't, right? Um, you, you mentioned the Danny Sabatello fight. Come on, bro. I, I, I thought Danny won. I thought Danny Sabatello won. It was close. 50-45. Yeah, control time. 50-45, Danny was really bad. I mean, yeah, Doug, yeah, should, yeah, Doug, uh, Doug, Doug should never... Doug should never ever ever have a scorecard in front of him ever again like that's pretty but it's it's the, it's the same argument that i've used against other guys so i think danny won because danny had the takedowns danny had the control time right but it's the same thing going back to say eric anders versus jung young park right it's like yeah he's getting the takedowns and he's leaning on him it's like but he's not landing any punches he's getting punched up the whole time he's getting hit the whole time oh well i got a takedown well what's a takedown if you got outstruck 20 to 10 in that round. Like, well, what is the takedown? So it's very subjective to who the judges are. Now, here's the interesting thing about um, Danny Sabatello. One guy's got it 50-45. The other two guys got it for stops. It's all over the place. When you look at the UFC card this weekend, it's the same thing. It's all over the place. And John McCarthy's own kid 
Ron McCarthy, right? I'm not making this shit up. This is real life. Ron McCarthy, John's kid, Big John, is a ref or is a judge in the UFC. Scored the fight for Patty Pimblett. <laughs> John apparently called him disgraceful. Oh, how could you score that fight for Patty Pimblett? And the guy's like, oh, he was the one working. He was the one doing stuff. So how does the entire internet, how does the entire everyone in the venue, how does, how does everyone watching at home, how does everyone see it one way, but somebody else sees it somewhere else? Well, because they're sitting ringside. Those little short little shots that you don't quite see, they do. Maybe that makes a difference. Maybe it doesn't. I don't know. What I'm saying is Fakradinov's style of lay and pray is going to get him robbed on the scorecards. My boy Zagazumagulov, my own fault for betting him all the time, he gets robbed on the scorecards because they don't care about a takedown and control time. They want the damage. Yep. He's getting out hit by, uh, by Charles Johnson. He's getting out hit by Jeff Molina. They don't care about the takedown and the control time. That's that's what I'm thinking here. I'm thinking Brian Battle could just land the better shots in that space, right? So, uh, yeah, slight underdog play Brian Battle, but it, when you're going against an OV who you know who can wrestle, uh, I don't, you, you don't got to high up on the tickets. It's low level. I think you're really overrating Brian Battle's takedown uh, defense. I might be. I might be. I mean, Sean we'll Gore was able. Sean Gore was able to take him down twice. Gilbert Urbina took him down twice. Like I don't know, man. Maybe this Russian can just, you, if he sticks to that game plan, is able to take by not down. making this your shoey bet, Paul, because you have the opportunity. No, because I'm... You have the opportunity. The argument you are making for Brian Battle is literally the argument you could have taken for, or is the exact opposite of, like, Mahashat versus Garcia. Rafa Garcia's a dog on a bone, dog. There's, there's a difference between this kind of wrestling. You will see that on Saturday. What, you think that Rafa Garcia is a better wrestler than Renat Fakratino? No, no. I'm saying I think Rafa Garcia is okay with you getting back up, so he'll swing at you and to try to land. He'll try to pass. Fakratino is more, I'm going to stall you down. Maybe, I'm, I don't think I'm overrating Brian Battle as much as I may be underrating Fakratino's ground and pound and submission game a little bit. But to me, I think he's going to get the takedowns and stay on top. And that's going to be a winning strategy for people at home but I don't know that it's enough to get the judge's decision. So either it's a pass altogether, 14 fights, why not pass on one of them? To me, mm -hmm. this stream's pass. But again, 14 fights, what are the dog spots with the plus money that you might be willing to take a shot? Not a whole lot of spots for me personally. This this is probably, I think, this is only my second dog, and we got three uh, even money picks, basically the same shit, right? Yeah. Well, I guess in your defense, you know, Brian Battle's coming in on really, really short notice for this fight. Fagratinov was matched up with Michael Morales, who looks mm. like a little, mm. you know, a little stud in training, who is going to be big problems. Well, he didn't have a great he's performance. He's just a bye, Paul. He's not a man. He's just a he's baby. Just a bye. Just a, just a boy. But uh, the kid's super, super, super talented. So Renat was probably being brought in as the B-side in that situation, to be perfectly honest. So, um Either way, um, I'm going to go with Renat. Uh, I don't think I'm going to be betting it. We got Manel Cop taking on David Dvorak, minus 235 Cop, plus 200 Dvorak. What's your take here, bud? Well, we already know that there's a possibility that one guy could Mahashat in my apple pie. Now we need to face the situation that another guy might cop right in the apple pie. <laughs> because I think Manel Cop, dude, I think the world of this guy. I've always thought the world of him back to his rising days where he's a lot of wear shoes. But, uh, man, just dynamic, extremely explosive. If he hits you, there's not a whole lot of flyaways that generate power like this guy. And he's a legitimate champion. Comes over to the UFC, and it's just been like the case of low output. You know, in that debut against Alexander Pantoja, uh, people forget that Alexander Pantoja is one of the best guys in the division. So it's a super tough UFC debut, but he had opportunities to win that fight. 
He just never pulled the trigger. He stared at him. He allowed the moment to slip away from him. Tough luck. Hopefully you learn from that. The next fight with Matus Nicolau, much of the same. You know, there's an argument he won, but very much he was deer in the headlight, stared at him the entire time, and just allowed the moment to slip away. So now people are writing him off completely, and that's allowed us to cash two good tickets on him. Him against Odie Osborne, it's a flying knee. Uh, I wouldn't call it a fluke. Like, it's a beautiful strike. And if you see the guy set the stuff up, he's extremely dynamic. It, it's all skill, but it's also another one of these spots that's like, would he have just gone back to, you know, low output had he not landed that knee? Maybe. And then his last fight against Zalgazuma Gulov. You want to talk about low output? Someone got in his ear and must have told him all the same stuff. It's like, bro, let your hands go and you are fast. He's got some of the fastest hands in the division, some of the best power in the division. He's a BJJ Brown belt. If you remember the Pantoja fight, he had two really nice takedowns over Pantoja. He's the complete package. He just needs to find that rhythm where he's settled and he's confident and he hits that flow state. And I don't know, Zalgus is always in these close fights. He's always in competitive fights. His fights are either him getting robbed on split decisions or in the Albazi situation, you know, a competitive unanimous decision loss. Cop cut right through him. Two knockdowns, absolute savage beating. 53 significant strikes landed in the first round. Four minutes into the first round, he'd already landed 53 significant strikes. And he was allowing Zalgus to hit him. He just didn't care. He just buzzsawed right through. That kind of approach is going to get him Quite far, I believe, unless he was to gas out. But again, at flyweight, you know, they tend to be able to throw a little bit longer, a little bit further into rounds. So we'll see. David Dvorak, meanwhile, he's capable of being the guy to defeat Manal Kopp because he's a good fighter. He really is. He's durable enough. He's got good striking. He presents a lot of problems for fighters. And I think he goes to a lot of these decisions, right? Competitive enough decisions. His fight with Bruno Silva, competitive. His fight with uh, his last time out against Matus Nicolau. Had he not gotten dropped by Nicolau, there's a solid argument that he may have won the fight. I mean, he keeps it close. He keeps it competitive. The problem is, is that he's another one of these guys that's low output. And so if Manel Cop's only going to land 50 and you're only going to land 50, I can assure you his 50 are going to matter a lot more. You need to go out there and cleanly outwork the guy. And uh, if he's coming with a new mentality of you're not going to work me anymore and he comes with his lunchbox and he goes out there and does the same thing against Zalgus. Yeah, again, he's going to be a problem. In both scenarios, it seems like cops starting to turn the corner, but there is a little bit of hesitancy that knows that he's capable of coming out here and just staring and allowing the moment slip away. Because in his mind, he won those fights. He was shocked when the decision was read on both occasions because he didn't understand why am I losing? He thinks he's winning. That's dangerous. But again, the fact that he's won his last two, he seems to be throwing more. He seems to be way more aggressive. He seems to be a lot more comfortable. I, I would think that that's the coaching staff, the training partners, them doing their job and getting this kid to that next level. So if that's where he's headed or if that's where he is already, he's going to be too big of a problem for, for David Dvorak. So, uh, yes, I'm up for Manal Kopp to get the job done. Yeah, I agree with most of what you said there. Um, Manal Kopp, if he can show up with the volume that he did against, I mean, the Zalgus performance was just, like, insane. In fairness, I guess Manal Kopp has failed a drug test recently. Uh, I don't know all the details of all of that, but it is very, very interesting. Both of these guys are relatively low volume um, in their in their approach when they when they go in there. The minus two thirty five scares me because if it is a low volume striking affair between two flyweights that goes to the decision, it would feel like a you know a, D a Dvorak is probably the value side there. I'll pick Cop for the purposes of this show, but not a spot that I have very, very much confidence in in laying uh, that type of number with. And finally, we've got Sergey Morozov taking on Journey Newsom. Minus 285 Morozov, plus 240 Newsom. Take it away. 
Newsom's just had such a strange run in the UFC. Like debuts in, and he's a boxer, and that's that's his whole thing. The guy can box. He doesn't throw kicks. He doesn't wrestle a whole lot. But you know, if you want to stand with him, he'll have an entertaining fight with you. Uh, his fight with Ricardo Ramos, yeah, he gets taken down because he's a boxer and he can't grapple. So that that's his his demise there. His fight with Domingo Pilarte, uh, he initially won the fight. He knocked out Pilarte in like 38 seconds and then he fails a drug test. So now he has to go on the sidelines. He comes back from the sidelines and Randy Costa kicks him right in the head. 41 seconds into the fight, knocks him out. So at this point, he's sustained very little success. The one win is overruled to a no contest, failed drug test. He's a boxer. Boxing doesn't look very good. Doesn't have the rest of those MMA skills. Takes two full years off after the Randy Costa loss. Comes back and they match him up against Fernie Garcia. And then he must have been wrestling in his two years off. Because like for the first time, you've seen a concentrated effort that he didn't want to just strike anymore and box. He wanted to get this fight to the ground and kind of use that new profound grappling against Fernie Garcia. It actually worked. He got two takedowns. He got some control time. He landed some decent ground and pound. He ended up winning the fight. In the first round, he did not look good. The second and the third round, he made the adjustments, got the takedowns going, is what it is. I would say low-level win. I would say he did something he wasn't even comfortable doing in order to get the win. So now you approach him. What does he do well? Well, he's got that boxing. Yeah, but he's not even comfortable doing it. He's not trying to go out there and throw. He shows no knockouts other than the one time that he he, he had knocked out uh, Domingo Pilarte, and then it's ruled a no contest. How much did that take out of him? The drug test. How much did getting knocked out against Randy Costa take out of him? Maybe he doesn't want to get hit anymore. He took two full years off. He's been wrestling and grappling the whole time. All of this is just kind of like Lost Fighter, kind of searching for something ever so slightly. Sergey Morozov, meanwhile, he, he is going to wrestle. He's going to come in. He's going to wrestle. He's a guy that can do it all. You've seen him on the regional scene. You know, hiccups, you know, the loss to Josh Reddinghouse. He's had a couple bad spots on the regional scene. But for the most part, outside of Mavzar Ivloev, like he was the kind of the top bantamweight uh, in Russia for a long time. Guy can do it all, can strike, can wrestle, can stay aggressive in your face. Um, I bet a good amount against him uh, on him against Douglas Diandraj. I thought the first round he looked tremendous. Second round he gets clipped. As he gets clipped, Diandraj is all over him. I would dare you to go find someone with a better body than Douglas Diandraj. He is so jacked and ripped up, man. That was a dangerous fight. It was a dangerous fight because he's a black belt. He was able to keep himself safe on the ground, and when he got back up, he hits like an absolute hammer. So. Morozov had some problems there. They book him against Roly and Pava. In theory, Pava is going to have the same problems. Trains at Team Alpha Male, kind of a big guy, and is a power puncher. Morozov just went back to the wrestling, and this time didn't gas out. This time didn't give him those same opportunities, didn't make those same mistakes. So I think that, again, he's another one of these guys that we know that he can wrestle. He's an OV guy. He'll go to the wrestling, and I think he's comfortable with that. With Journey Newsom, if Journey Newsom wants to box with him, go back to his boxing days, he's just going to get taken down. If he goes in and tries to wrestle with him, he's going to get danced around, I think, fairly handedly. Morozov just a far better grappler. So in both instances, outside of puncher's chance, I think Morozov just takes him down and has his way with him. I will admit with Morozov, there's one like knock. Uh, he's not big on finishes, at least not the UFC level. He seems more like one of these guys that's just going to grind you, land some ground and pound, touch you up, but not necessarily put you away. And maybe Journey Nuisance tough enough to just ride it out and survive. So I'm tempted to go with the Morozov by decision. But as you've listened to the show, you probably know, I got a lot of decisions on this card. Someone's going to get sparked and knocked out. And, you know, this one's greasy enough that it could be one of these guys. So uh, I don't know that I'm going to chase a prop on it, but the pick will be Sergey Morozov. Yeah, pick for me is going to be Sergey Morozov as well. Minus 285 doesn't really get me all that excited. I think that 
He should be able to lean on his wrestling here. Should be able to be at least really... Com- like, yeah, it's it's pretty much outside of getting bonked, like absolutely getting knocked out on a you know a crazy strike that lands perfectly for Journey Newsom. I don't really see too many paths to victory uh, for, for Journey Newsom. Um, the one fight I guess I would go back to maybe look at is Josh Reddinghouse M1 Challenge. Uh, versus Morozov, mm. like, how did that knock out? I, I can't recall, obviously. And, yeah, Reddinghouse is like, a drunk care dog, out? you know, a guy that can wrestle for, with you tit for tat. He's from the Pacific Northwest, 25 fights under his belt, and fought in Russia quite a bit. So, like, yeah, shit happens. I understand he got caught there, but Journey Newson, like, come on. If this fight happened in M1, we wouldn't even be talking about it, right? They wouldn't even be odds. That's how big of this line would be. It's happening in the UFC. We're getting a bettable line. It just got to go more. Yeah. No, no. My only question was just, like, how did that all kind of play out? And that's the only reason I was, like, kind of questionable about Because, yeah, Newson does hit hard. And maybe, just maybe, that would be the path for for him. But uh, Morozov will be the pick for me. Bets that I have this week. I got Cannoneer plus 100, uh, Mir Albazi inside the distance minus 120, and win by decision. That's Duran win by decision plus 375. Considering Ola Shashuk, but because he's, you know, former 205 or 185, he made it last time. He looked good last time. Just want to, you know, make sure that, uh, you know, that he gets that job done, gets that part of the job done, makes weight and all of that stuff. So I'm considering him inside the distance, minus 110, if that line sticks around uh, long enough. Uh, Mahashat, going to continue to watch that market move. And I'm not going to put my faith behind Corey McKenna to put out, you know, to actually stick to a game plan, get takedowns and secure position because, yeah, I'm just not going to put my money there. I I did write it down as a maybe, but that was me. (laughs) That was me hitting the delete (laughs) button, Cody, because Elise Reed, if she does the exact same thing and then then tries to stand at range with Vlismus, loses a decision or gets finished, I'm going to be like, okay, well, this is just the Elise Reed fight all over again and i lost money by doing you know fool me once shame on you fool me twice shame on you yes i almost had a a, i I almost had a george bush moment there anyway cody uh, i'm I'm prize i'm prize picks the only two that i actually uh i've actually locked in three legs we got Arosa more uh, proje- uh, more than sixty five point five significant strikes, and then the over for fight time, which you're getting slight value compared to like the market on uh, over fourteen or over fourteen point seven five minutes on the Dober and the Nurmagomedov fights. Um, that's why I like on Prize Picks, Cody. You know what time it is. Hit him with the PRP. All right, starting with the main event, we are going to go with Simple Sean. And then we're going to take Demir Shmugulov, dog number one, Amir Albazi, Julian Arosa, Drew Dober, Michael Lexicek, uh, Cheyenne Baez, Jake Matthews, Julian Marquez, uh, Sayakub Kakramanov, technically dog number two, if you want to be technical on things, mm-hmm. Rafa Garcia, Brian Battle, dog number three, Manel Kopp, and Sergey Morozov. So 14 fights, only going with 300 dogs. But again, 
it just depends on like who you're most confident. To me, I seen like the, I wouldn't say value because 290 Morozov is not considered value, but like I, I'm going to play Morozov. I feel like he's going to have some money cop to a certain extent. Uh, Kakramanov, I think that's great value because it's even money. It's going to really juice things up. Jake, Jake Matthews, Jake Matthews seems good to me this week. I know Paul didn't agree, but Cheyenne buys kind of at the lower echelon. Mike's electric, uh, Mikey O, sorry. Julian Arosa, Miral Bazi, the rest of them. Simple Sean, Simple Sean, you can hedge out of the main event too. Uh, he's real simple. He's real simple. But, I mean, dude, 150 significant strikes landed. Sign me up for that. If he can just keep throwing and uh, hopefully his little inbred head is just enough to take a punch or two, then hopefully he stays upright and gets the victory. Yeah, hopefully he doesn't get the victory because I bet Jared. But uh, <laughs> we will find out. Anyway, we will have a... Uh, a Christmas special, which will be airing on Fight Network and maybe Game Plus, and it'll be right here on the Mayo Media Network YouTube page. Um, not sure the exact date that we're releasing that, but we're, we're recording it on Monday, so I don't know. I don't make these big decisions. I don't know when they actually get released out to you guys, but we'll go through like all the, the awards and all of that. It'll just be more of like a fun show than, you know, breaking down tape and breaking down all of the numbers and all of that stuff. Uh, wrap up the year that is 2022 and move into 2023. Obviously, there's not another card for basically a month after this card. So it'll be a nice welcomed little time off. And uh, hopefully we can start 2023 on a heater. But uh, yeah, that is it for us this week. Hope you enjoyed the show. For producer Megan and Cody Saptic, I'm Paul Shaughnessy saying goodbye and good luck. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile and the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time, there's Granger, offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus. You can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com, or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.